0: Welcome to New Spring Church. We pray this message has inspired you to live a great life. For more information about our story, go to newspring.org.au It's actually great to be here. It's really great to be here. And I don't know how... how, I think I know some people here, don't I, for sure. (laughs) I know quite a few here from different friends, but people I've never met before. Hi, my name is Kelly. I've been... uh, Gosh, I've been in the church community for my whole life. I grew up in church. My parents were back in the, you know, 50s, of course, which before I was born. (laughs) Thank you very much. Um, But they were part of the Church of Perth, very much involved in um, uh, Pentecostal Church, actually, back then, which used to be called the Foursquare Church. Anyone heard of Foursquare back in those days? So that was my parents. They were back very involved in that. And then... Uh, so pretty much through my whole life, I've been in church community, and uh, I still love it. That's a good thing, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, I remember hearing this very, very old man. He probably wasn't that old now in reflection. He just looked <laughs> old to me. You know, he was probably about 55. Anyway, uh, no, no, he was older than that. But he was a very old man. He was standing. He was up on the uh, it was a Sunday night church, and um, they often used to have like a testimony night back then when people would come and give a bit of a testimony. And many of the testimonies that people would give would be really extreme, like their life had become extreme, you know, with drugs or alcohol or um, in in those kind of areas or having problems in relationships. And they would tell the church their story and then progress to say how God had redeemed them from that, which is always incredibly encouraging. But I was uh, only about 15 and that wasn't my experience at all. I didn't see myself as ever even going in that direction, maybe, you know, so I was sitting there thinking, oh, I wonder what else God does almost. <laughs> yeah. And uh, there was this, this day, this, old, this evening, this old man got up, you know, and he, he started to talk about the fact he'd met um, Jesus as a little boy, and he said, um, and my whole life I've walked with him, and I've never walked away. And he said, and I'm here as a testimony to the keeping power of God. You know, I was like a girl, and I remember no one got that excited. (laughs) It's kind of like, ah, rock him off and bring on the next person who's going to tell us a real story. (laughs) And this gorgeous old man sat there, and I remember even being a young girl and thinking to myself, I want to be like that. You know? I want to have a testimony that's grand in the fact that God can take the miraculous. I want him to, the miraculous to be because he can keep us for our whole lives and he can always be enough. You know, now I'm kind of like getting towards my late 50s. I'm thinking it's true. It's actually true. He can do that. So if you're young and you're thinking, gosh, you know, I've got to go and experience all these things, I'm telling you, you can experience more than enough life by staying close to him your whole life life is actually incredibly wonderful so that's been my story in many ways um, I've actually worked in the church quite a lot too I don't work in the church anymore I stopped working in the church back in 2012 and it was very interesting how much of our identity gets caught up in our workplace doesn't it yeah. like if you say to someone oh you know introduce yourself you, you feel compelled to say what you do I'm this I'm that don't you I'm, you know, I'm plumber I'm a technician I'm a banker I'm a teacher, you know, we kind of say those kind of words and that's what gives us identity. When I left working in church ministry in 2012, I remember someone coming up to me and saying, oh, what are you going to do now you're not a minister? I was thinking, first of all, how can I not be a minister just because I'm not being paid? That's bizarre that we've become narrowed ministry down to a paid position, which it's not. Then I thought to myself, I'm just whatever God makes me just whatever he makes me in the next season and I'm actually okay about that, I wonder what it's going to be I think we also love to give, uh, we've we've often made names have a bit of an identity so I've heard people talk a lot about what they call their children's names and what they mean and that kind of becomes a bit of an identity, my name is Kelly and guess what that means does anyone know my name means warrior (laughs) maid. quite cool isn't it you hear that, film? Warrior made me. Anyway, and there's other names like, I remember my brother's name is Neil and that meant, and my husband's name is Neil as well, as it turns out, and that name means champion. And then um, I have a son, my third son's name is Zachariah and I, I um, was had a couple of children. I miscarried a number of children for a period of time and I was always wanted to have a lot of children. It was always my kind of desire that I have a big family and and uh, I got to my late 30s and I'd had two children. I thought, okay, God, you've done a great job. That's enough. And then I found out I was pregnant again. I was nearly, what's happening? You're all looking up. You're worrying me. Um, so anyway, uh, I was pregnant again. And um, had—and my son, Zachariah, his name means the Lord has not forgotten. Because uh, it was just this beautiful thought that he didn't, never forgot. That's what I wanted. And I have three magnificent ch- sons. You know, when I go to Rwanda a lot, I'm very involved. Fox Glove is actually about an international mission, and it's supporting women and girl projects. So I'm passionate about women and girl projects in the developing world. It's what I absolutely love. But when I go into these self-help groups, they, often, they call themselves, they don't often, they always do, they give themselves a name when they come together as 20 women. And their names mean things like um, women holding up each other's arms or women going forward, women with a shared purpose. So there's often this positive fabulous sense of we are going somewhere. And names do that, don't they? Words do that. Titles do that. They give us something. You know, when you think about your children getting a teacher's report, you like to see words that make your children look like they're standing out. Don't you? Like they're standing up. That they've got influence or they're making their mark. I don't know if we're that thrilled we hear words in our, if we saw words in our report card like gentle, lovely and poor in spirit. (laughs) they're meek. I don't know if we'd all be that thrilled about that, would we? Because our culture somehow says those words don't mean enough. No, no, I don't want to hear he's meek. I want to hear he's bold and he's strong and he's an influential leader and he's going to change the world. But, you know, that's actually not really what Scripture's like. Here we meet a point where identity kind of collides with what we perceive in culture and what Christ says. In fact, perhaps the Beatitudes, like nothing else, we know the Beatitudes, don't we? They capture like nothing else the identity that Christ is saying, this is who I want you to be. Blessed are the what? Poor in spirit. Poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Yeah? I mean, there's just so many of the descriptors in there which give us this understanding. When we think of that word blessed, we often think of the word blessed as this is a good blessing for you. This is a good thing for you. But the word blessed in that context says, when you are like this, this is taking you towards all that Christ has for you. When you behave like this, this is taking you towards becoming more Christ-like. Along the way, it may not feel great. But if you practice this, this will take you to what it is to be looking like Christ. I don't know about you, but that's, I'm more interested in that. I'm more interested in where I'm going than where I am today. I, I, I love a bit of comfort, don't we all? I like a bit of pampering. You're great. But I'm far, far more interested in where am I going. And the Beatitudes say to us, if you behave like this, then you're going to inherit all that Christ has for you. And today I want to take one of those identity items and I just want to talk about it. And I want to encourage you as a church and as an individual like like never before to say, I don't want to live like culture tells me to be. I want to live like Christ tells me to be. I want to work out what it is. I want to think about it. I want to apply it in my life. I want people to say to me, I reckon you're like this. Yeah. And the one I want to talk about today is blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. I want you to get your head around the fact when someone tells you, you're meek, that you can say, how wonderful. Sure. I'm going to become like him. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Is there any statement in the Bible that's more countercultural than that? Yeah on honesty is there can you imagine you know the greatest leaders in the world saying to people you know blessed are the meek for you're going to inherit the earth we'd be told blessed are the most powerful blessed are those with the most money blessed are those who are strong blessed are those who make good decisions blessed are those who make hard decisions for they will inherit the earth and Christ says no they're not blessed are the meek Bless those who understand, the whole world does not revolve around you. Boy, don't you have to teach your kids that? <laughs> <laughs> Our kids think the world revolves around them, don't they? Yes. And, and, you know, the more that we as parents permit that, the more we are absolutely crazy. Yeah. You know, I can say that. My, my sons are kind of getting to the other end. I've got my youngest is 18, my oldest is 28. I'm going to be a grandma next year. <laughs> Gosh, didn't realise I was going to get that in, but I can. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so next year I'll be your grandma. But, you know, I had to work really hard to teach my kids they weren't the centre of the world. I mean, I used to say to them, you are not even the centre of this family. They're less the centre of the world, sonny Jim. <laughs> your kids look confused when you tell them that. And I think the way we as parents so often act, we're giving a completely different message. Yeah. They're not the centre of the world. I remember Zachy, my youngest, he, um, I, I, he used to love being in all the school plays, you know, primary school, you know, they used to you know, have pools. And he used to always audition to have the main part every time. And I'd be like, Zach, you know, just take it down a notch, you know. Like, and it, the funniest thing is, he, he's just, he's a very, very shy kind of, in some respects, quiet kid. But I don't know, just on those school plays, he loved it. And I remember turning up at one school play, and he had said, Mum, you better come along, you know, I'm the lead again. <laughs> what are you doing this time, Mum, wait and see, wait and see, you know, you're not going to believe it. I didn't believe it, because he was the tap-dancing mouse. <laughs> he tap-danced his way along, and I was like, what? And he, it was just absolutely hilarious. And I said, how did you learn that? He said, didn't know what I was doing, Mum. I just was really enthusiastic. And they, <laughs> they had to give it to me. But, um, you know, when you're trying to teach your kids this meekness, We've got understand they live in a me culture, not a meekness culture. Don't they? Yeah. They live in the me culture. And here you are saying, oh, no, not me, but meekness. Richard Rawls says this. He says, we're culturally taught that everything out there in this world is hostile. I have to compare, dominate, control, and ensure. In brief, I have to be in charge. And that need to be in, that need to be in charge moves us deeper and deeper into a world of anxiety. Yeah? yeah? Our feel that it's got to be about us and we've got to be... It actually moves us into a world of anxiety deeper and deeper. We feel that meekness is out of date. It's either out of date or it's futuristic. It's certainly not about the way I'm going to live right now. Yeah. And we have this kind of world that says, if you don't make it happen, it's not going to happen. Which leads to us have a huge emphasis on being self-assertive Self-interested, self-promoting. Self-promotion has just become part of culture, has it not? We want to exert, it's this word called hubris. It's one of my favourite words. H-U-B-R-I-S. Do you like that word? Hubris. And hubris is this idea of being overconfident about yourself. And somehow, when people have this overconfidence, everyone goes, wow, that's fantastic. challenge I've got is it's not what scripture calls from us. It's just not what it says. This this approach of hubris and self-importance and self-promotion is exactly the opposite pathway to gentleness, kindness, meekness when we're not in charge. Now, we often think of the word meekness as weakness, maybe just because it rhymes, right? (laughs) I reckon it's that simple. We go, meekness, weakness. But that's not what it means. That's not the word meekness at all. In fact, the word meekness is the word, in the New Testament, it's called the word praus, P-R-A-U-S. And it's just the opposite of being self-assertive and self-interested. It's more about humility. It's about having a humble outlook. You know, I think about scripture. And even today when we're singing some of our songs, I think about some of those songs. When we're saying, we need you, God, we are completely reliant upon you. That the the scripture would say, less of me, more of you. That's meekness. The scripture says, I'm not able, but when I'm not able, you make things possible. That's meekness. Meekness is having a stance which says, I'm going to look up first. I will bring all that I can to the table. But God, you know what? At the end of it, you hold it. And I put all of my faith and I put all of my trust in your power. I want to live like that. I don't want people to think, oh, you're so capable. I know that people would look at each of us and say, you're so capable. I'm like, it's actually him. It's actually him in me, and I am so OK about it. In fact, I am so OK about it, I would just so much rather not even be seen." Yeah. It's this wonderful divine posture of saying, "I want to have my hands up and my eyes are up, yeah. because everything that I have and everything that I am is him in me. And it's not a false humility. Do you know what I mean? We can't have it as a false humility because that's obvious, isn't it? When someone just goes, oh, yes, it's not me, it's him. And as soon as someone says it, you're thinking, oh, please, give me a break. Because it's got to be deeper than that. It's got to be something that pours out of you that you just say to yourself, I'm even vaguely interested. Because everything I have and everything I want to be is actually in him. I just want to live like that, don't you? Acting with meekness means we trust God to put things right. So often we want to put things right, don't we? I want to put things right with the world, I want to put things right with my marriage, and I want to put things right with you, and just let me do it. But meekness says, you know what, God? I'm going to trust you with that situation. I'm not going to passively trust you. I'm going to actively trust you. You're making the world right. I believe he is. I believe he's making the world right. That everyone says this world is going towards destruction. Everyone says, because we're all believing in the power of this world, yet the whole world is going down the tubes. And I'm like going, no, it's not. No, it is not going down the tubes. He knows exactly where it's going towards. And I trust him to put things right. And I know God. I know what it looks like. And I sometimes feel that sense of fear want to rise in me but I have my confidence in something so much greater than the powers of this world. And he will make it right. At the right time, he will make it right. You know, meekness is um, so much easier to find in myself when things are going wrong. Has anyone ever experienced that? When things are going bad, it's easy to be meek, isn't it? Um, In fact, Webster's Dictionary describes meek as this. Uh, meekness is bearing difficulties with humility or dignity. So when there's injustice or poverty or sickness or mistreatment or betrayal, I'm like, it's not me, God. I just need you. I'm so meek. In fact, I reckon that's why we look at the third world or people in the developing world and we kind of have this thing of they're so content. We often say that about someone in the third world, don't we? They're so happy. I'm like, actually, it's not true. Got exactly, they've got struggles, but they live in a struggle. And often you've got to learn a sense of meekness. I met this woman when I was away this time. Um, I've just come back from um, uh, Zambia, Uganda, Congo and Rwanda. I love them all. And um, I'm often in East Africa and that part, those parts of Africa. And I was in um, in a really remote place. Um, village about three and a half hours out of Kigali in Rwanda and I'm meeting with a group of women who have all joined these self-help groups and they've been in a group for a year and I'm, I'm talking to this woman immaculate who I'd met a year ago and immaculate a year ago was um, I remember her husband she was married but her husband didn't even he didn't even look at her he just treated her with such disdain she, she was incredibly dirty and ragged she had a couple of children they fed their children maybe one meal a day. They just lived in a, in a hut. They had, she did not wash. She would tell me that she wouldn't wash for one week. She had one piece of cloth that she tied around herself. And she joined a self-help group. And in the course of this one year, life has totally revolutionised. So I'm sitting with her, saying to, telling, and she's telling me the stories of, of what life is now like for her. And it's I like, you know, I'm, as per usual, I'm crying my eyes out because... Whenever you see people's life just so revolutionised, it's just so moving and and beautiful. But as I was talking to her, um, she said to me, she says, oh, well, I did the six months in the group and they do lots of training, and then no one gives you any money, and you have to save every week, a small amount, which works out to be about 8 cents a week. Um, And they're saving that 8 cents a week. It's going into an account, and at the end of six months, you can take a loan from your own group. It's all your own savings. No one else is giving the loan because otherwise you get into debt, because most of the time the, the save interest rates are too great. So if we talk about 5% interest, but it's most often 5% a month, so it's 60% a year. So you're actually in a worse situation at the end of the year than when you got the loan. But this role, this way this model works is you have your own loan. So she took out this loan at the end of her, um, at the end of her six months for 2,000 Rwandan francs, which was about $3. And we'd go, and that's, that's a big loan for her. She's, she's nervous. She takes out the loan and she says, I bought three rabbits. I'm like, yeah, that's fantastic. She goes, well, the rabbits died. I'm like, oh, my gosh. Can we get on to the next part of the story, you know? She says, well, I went back to the group and I was crying and they said, no, no, we'll take out another loan. She said, I took out a loan for 2,000 wanton francs. She bought two chickens and eagles came and took the chickens. So now she owns she owes five thousand Wandon francs, but she's got no rabbits and she's got no chickens. And I'm like, oh my lord, maybe maybe this idea has gone down the toilet, you know? And then she says, um, I said, what'd you do next? She says, the group encouraged me, take out another loan. And I'm like, oh no, tell me you didn't, you know? That's what I'm thinking, but I'm trying not to say it. She said I took out a loan, and she said it was like six thousand Wandon francs, the biggest loan of all. And she said, and I bought a piglet. And she glances over into her compound, and over in the compound is this big pig. It's only only about four or five months old, and she says, and the pig I can sell in January for 30,000 Rwandan francs. Mm. Mm. I'm looking at her. I'm like, this is unbelievable. And she says, you know, when I got that last loan, I just kept 100 Rwandan francs, which is about, you know, I don't know, about 20 cents. She said, I went and bought a little piece of soap, and I had a wash, and I thought to myself, I want to be different. I want life to be different. You know, the most beautiful thing out of the whole story, I reckon, was when I glanced across and I could see her husband and he had come and listened and he was sitting on this bench across from us and he had his eyes fixed on her like she was the most beautiful thing he had ever seen, like he had hit the jackpot. And I thought to myself, adversity and struggle so often reminds you of what you haven't got. And this woman went on to tell me about the fact that I trust God, he's going to get me through these circumstances. I ultimately had to trust him, and she did. She couldn't put a confidence in herself, could she? Because all of her confidence was not going to bring the reward. But she just kept going. And, and I looked at that and I thought to myself, oh, it's, so, it's sometimes easier when you have struggle. But you know what I'm saying today is meekness is supposed to be an everyday stance. I'm saying when life is wonderful, seriously, when you look like you're the most successful person on the planet, (coughs) then how's our meekness barometer going? Like, I reckon it's easier to be meek when we're struggling. But what I want to ask you today is are you prepared to be meek? when other people think you're a great success? Are you prepared to be meek when you even think you're a great success? One day I was driving in my car and um, life was going great, okay? And um, I'm driving along in my car, I had the, ra- I had the um, uh, you know, some music on, I was doing my little worship time in the car, I was praying up a storm, I was feeling really, really good about myself. <laughs> and, um, I didn't think of it like that. Do you know what I mean? Like I'm just going along and, you know, God, you're so great. Life is so great. Lord, I'm doing this, this. And then I hear this little voice in me, tiny little voice. Inside, it's not some audible voice. And I heard God say to me, You're looking a little bit too happy with yourself. And I'm thinking, Excuse me, God? I'm doing a good job for you. I don't, I don't think it's any time to be throwing around these comments loosely. And uh, I'm like, what? And then I hear this little voice, you're a little bit too happy with yourself. And I knew at that moment he was right. God wasn't saying it to me to pull me down. He was saying, warning, warning, warning. Warning, warning, warning. Do you really want to be trusting in how you're feeling today? Do you really want to be trusting in what other people are seeing today? Do you really want to be putting in your trust what you feel capable today? Because there's going to come a day, Kelly, when you won't have any of it. And then what's your identity going to be? You know, I started crying my eyes out in the car as I drove because I knew the kindness of God. He wasn't telling me off. He was saying, blessed is the meek, for they will inherit the earth. I'm so glad he's like that. He knows you and I are capable of so much, but we're capable because it's him in us. We know that this community is capable so much in Armidale, but if ever the people... Of New Spring Church thinking it's about them. You're in trouble. Because Jesus has been plans to change this community since time began and he's looking for people who just join with him. I love the fact that, uh, I love Philippians too. it's always been one of my key, um, key messages. Um, And in the message, it says this. It says, if you've gotten anything at all out of following Christ. Has anyone here done that? If you've got anything. If his love has made any difference in your life. If being in a community of the spirit means anything to you. If you have a heart. If you have, if you care. (laughs) Then do me a favor. Agree with each other. Love each other. Be deep spirited friends. Don't push your way to the front. Don't sweet talk your way to the top. Put yourself aside and help others get ahead. Don't be obsessed with getting your own advantage. Forget yourself long enough to lend a helping hand. Doesn't that look like meekness? It's just saying, I'm not the center. You are, God. And you know what, God? I'm the most fortunate of women because I get to do everything I get to do with you in me. And other people may sometimes think You're just, I'm just not enough. I'm not doing enough. But I, but I am having a uh, audience of one, because that's what meekness says. It's you and us. Aren't we lucky? Aren't we lucky that this culture that would say the opposite is just fake news? That yeah. yeah. <laughs> <Aww. laughs> the real news, the real news is it says and the meek will inherit the earth. And that's what I'm shooting for. If you've got anything else out of Christ, you know, I had this, um, I love this story. I one time saw it, it was about, um, what's his name? Oh, what is his name? It. Winston Churchill's mum. She was kind of a bit of a celebrity in her day. And she used to go away and, and around and meet some of the most wealthy, accomplished people. And uh, one time she had met with two of the, of the countries leaders, English countries leaders at the time, at that period of time. And one of them was um, Benjamin Disraeli and one of them was William Gladstone. Have you heard of those two names? So she had consecutive dinners. First night she met with William Gladstone, second night she met with the Prime Minister who was Benjamin Disraeli, and after that she made this comment. She said, when I left the dining room after sitting next to Gladstone, I thought he was the cleverest man in England. But when I sat next to Disraeli, I left feeling that I was the cleverest woman. Isn't that nice? You know what meekness does? It sees the beauty in other people. It sees the potential in other people. You know when you meet someone? Don't look past them. Don't look past them to the person who you think can do more for you. Stay in that space of caring about the person directly in front of you. You know what? Have you ever been in a conversation when you're talking to someone and you can see their eyes are going to who they can move to next because you're a little bit too boring and you're thinking to yourself, you know, you're trying to help them to get out of your conversation. I know you want to go away. I know you don't want to talk to me. That should never happen, should it? Meekness says you are valid. Not only that, Christ adores you. Everyone needs to feel like that. I went to a funeral last Monday week of a woman who grew up in the... Ch- uh, who, who I knew in the church from 30 years ago, 40 years ago. And her daughter contacted me when she died suddenly and um, to see if I was away in Africa to see if I could do the funeral. So I, when I came back, I contacted her and said, where's the funeral? And I thought when I'd turn up, there'd be all of the church there because she'd been in about three churches that I had known her through. And for a period of time, I used to pick her up every Sunday and take her to church because I used to drive past her house. And um, she was one of those ladies who had had a real difficult life, really difficult life. She'd lost her three oldest children who'd been taken from her. She was, had one child who was with her, a daughter. She was living in really difficult circumstances. But you know what? She was a cracker. She was such a fabulous, funny woman. But, you know, people didn't always take time to get to know her. And so when I turned up at her funeral, I thought, oh, well, all the churches people be there. I've got to tell you, not one person was there from any of the churches she'd been at. Not one. But there was about 40 people there. And I was like, who are these people? And one of these guys gets up, and they're there because she's been volunteering at a centre for about 10 years. And this man gets up, who is her boss, and he's employed. He's like the senior manager, and she was a volunteer. And he gets up to do her eulogy. And I'm thinking he's going to say the whole, oh, she's such a lovely lady and we'll miss her presence because, because, we know, because she's been so lovely. What's her name again? You know, I thought that kind of thing would happen. But you know what? I was so wrong. He knew her. He started to tell stories about her which completely resonated with the woman that I knew. The, all the people there, they started laughing. They were crying. And what I realised is this group of people had actually seen her. They told a story about her one time, this is is so her, right? They had um, an event and she had decided she was um, in charge of the ticketing and as people came in they gave her a ticket and she signed off, right? So she perched herself at that front door and every person who came in, ticket please, thank you, otherwise you're not coming in. Um, and I'll sign off. Well, anyway, as she's sitting there, the CEO of the organisation realised the governor was soon arriving. And so the, the CEO kind of moved over near her and was trying to kind of get her out of the way, because they wouldn't want the, the governor to be put to any sense of discomfort. So they're trying to usher her out of the way. And she's like, excuse me, this is my job, leave me alone. In the end, he gave up, the CEO gave up. Well, when the governor came, everyone stood to attention, except for her, because she's sitting at her desk. She's like, ticket, please. <laughs> What I loved was that he saw her. They all saw her. Meekness says, hey, you know what? I'm no better than anyone else. We're all exactly the same. We're all just wonderful. We're all wonderfully and fearfully made. We're all wonderfully and fearfully made. Yeah? Yeah? You know, if you think that meekness sounds like the second prize, then nothing could be further from the truth. Meekness takes us towards the kingdom, but do we really understand what it's bringing us? It says it's bringing us the whole earth, the whole earth. The nourishment and sustenance of our souls and the health of our planet is what we're on the way to achieving and receiving when we say, I'm going to practice meekness every day of my life. It doesn't come by human endeavours. In fact, it's a declaration that we cannot put things right. Richard Raw says this as well. He says, only such a new person, a meek person, can take on the social illnesses of one's time and even the betrayal of friends and not be destroyed by cynicism or bitterness. You know what we I mean? Not because it's a declaration of trusting God, the only one who can put things right. I love Psalm 37. It says, commit your future to the Lord. Trust in him and he will act on your behalf. He will vindicate you in broad daylight. He will publicly defend your cause. Wait patiently for the Lord, wait confidently for him. Do not fret over the apparent success of a sinner, a man who has carried out wicked schemes. Do not be anger, angry, do not be frustrated, do not fret. That only leads to trouble. You know, meekness. It's radical that radical humility. And it brings us ever closer to the kingdom. A posture of humility in good times and in bad demonstrates Christ in ways that are undeniable doesn't it? It models a new way of living. It brings hope and challenge to Christ's followers. It repairs communities when things are broken. It's not a failure to act. It's not a retreat. It's not a walkover. It's a firm, unwavering trust in the only one who can change people and put things right. But I'm telling you, meekness is not for the faint-hearted. It's not the pathway of the weak who want to know him. It's the walk of the brave who want to follow him more closely and are prepared to let go of everything they think they've got their confidence in to know him more deeply. I pray that New Spring, Stewart, New Spring Church takes the walk of the brave, the walk of meekness in our personal lives and the walk of meekness in our community life so that the world may know that everything we have and everything we are is because of him and he is the one who will keep us forever. We put all our trust in this God, all of our trust. We don't look to the left or the right. We look up with our hands open and say less of me and more of you. Why don't the uh, musicians come up? Why don't you just play quietly in the background? And later on we can sing that fight song maybe. You know, when we sing, we sing something like that fight song. You know what? It's not about revving ourselves up, it's about drilling deeper. It's not about calling out words, boom, 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 like words can change things just to themselves. It's the power of God in what we say. You know where that's found? Deep within us. His spirit is in us. And as I sing it out of here, it's got some power. You know what it takes from us first? Is us humbling ourselves. You know, I I want to have a prayer today. I don't always do this. But so often we can respond easily when the cry is, you know, who needs God today because they've got a terrible struggle. But I want to make a cry out today. Who needs God today because everything is going okay? And they're at risk of losing focus on the only thing that really matters. Bowing our knee to Him. If you haven't bowed in the last month, then I'm encouraging you. You're on the wrong path. If life looks like it's going along easy, now is the time more than ever to say, I, God, give everything back to you. I am imploring you, because our churches, if anything else, we're not at risk just from being overwhelmed with difficulty. We're at at risk of being overwhelmed with goodness and a life of ease. And today we can say, no, no, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. So why don't you close your eyes? You know, God, We say this, we say these words today because the end game is what we care about. It's not just who we are today, it's not today's struggles, it's who we're becoming and where we're going. And we wanna be people who are becoming more like you. So I just wanna ask now, anyone in this building who first of all says, I've never laid my life down. I've never said, I desperately need God. I can't do it on my own. If if that's you, I'm telling you, you can't. And it's not an act of weakness. It's actually the walk of the brave that acknowledges that. So if that's you, just lift your hand right now. And then I'm going to say a prayer and you can follow me. And as a result of that prayer, you start the walk with him. So if that's you, if you've never said yes to God, Or if you've said it so long ago that you go, you know what, Kelly? It's not even alive in me anymore. It's words. And the second group of people, I really want to ask today. If you say, you know what? I'm at risk of losing my dependence on him. That I acknowledge him and I believe in him. But I think I've moved away from really relying on him. And I don't want to live like this anymore because it's just too hard. And I wonder who I'm really becoming. And why don't you raise your hand nice and high. Just saying, I just want a bit more meekness in my life, God. I want to be more trusting. I want to put all of my confidence in you. Just lift your hand nice and high. Great. Lots of hands. Lots of hands. Lots of hands. Great. Beautiful. Can we all as a church community, can we all say these words after me? Let's say them out loud and you know what, only for you to hear, not for me to hear. I want you to hear your own voice. Let's make a declaration. God, I come to you. And more than ever, I declare that I put everything I have in you. I put all my trust in you. I want to have less of me. I want to have more of you. And I know this is the walk of the brave. And I know this is something I'm going to have to be thinking about more regularly. But I want to hear your voice. I want to hear your whisper. And ultimately, I want to walk towards you. So I put my hand in yours. Lead me on, forever and ever I pray.